Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. So if we're going to uh, begin our study here, having had about 15 minutes to process these questions, uh, I just want to repeat them for the recording and for those that aren't in class tonight they will be listening. When have you been loved, and how did you know it was love, and how do you know when you are loving someone? Easy questions to answer, or too abstract? They're great essay questions, because you can't answer them with one word. It makes you justify your answer, and it makes you justify your response. So, from the music of my college days, foreigner saying, I want to know what love is. And that's what I'm asking you tonight. What is it? So, and I hope this doesn't put anyone in an awkward spot, but anybody in this room not able to answer the first question? Don't raise your hand. If your table looks sadly at you right now, I'll know. So, have you ever felt loved? And were you able to articulate, how did you know it was love? Is Which is harder, question one or question two? Two? How many say one? How many just won't vote no matter what my questions are? <laughs> you're, th- you're thinking, if we don't say anything, he'll just keep talking. And he'll end up talking about his kids and we'll get out of here, right? Yeah, you know how to play me. I get it. So is it, is it difficult to know when you're loved? Some of us have a difficulty with that question, I think. Because we thought we were being loved and found out we weren't. We were being used. Or we got taken advantage of. Or love made us vulnerable, and we got hurt. All of those are legitimate responses. So I'm not here to pick at wounds or to touch sore spots to have you tell me that hurts. But you were loved, right? And how did you know it? This is the question I want to focus initially on, because our Bible study is pretty clear. If you don't know that the Bible tells us to love one another, then the gospel has not been properly presented. So there's no doubt that if you walked up to anybody, should you love people? No one's going to go, no. Everyone's going to go, yeah, fundamentally I should. Is it difficult to love people? Yeah, because some people are A, unlovable, based on a reward system. We love people. Jesus said, don't just love those who love you. Who doesn't do that, right? Chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. He said, don't just love those who love you. Everybody does that. Love those who can't repay you. Love those who are your enemies. Love those who are unlovable. Which means probably the word love means something different to God than it does to me. So if I want to become spiritually mature, which is what we're talking about in this class, if I want to experience the life God wants me to have, and I want to become the man that I want to be in the eyes of God, and I want to honor Him with how I live, then I need to understand what He means when he says love. Now you've probably, and I know if there are college kids in here, they'll roll their eyes at me. How many of you have read the book, The Five Love Languages? What is the word? The Five Love Languages? Oh, yeah. Okay. Now it's not profound research, but it's really right. It is. Okay. And it says that we all feel loved a certain way. So, 
I would write, when Heather and I were dating in college, I, the summer we, I was driving trucks to put myself through college. Heather was two and a half hours away in her town working at a little ice cream place in her town. And, and I wrote that girl a card every single day. And I sent her that card every single day because I did not want to get out of the, the line of guys interested in her. I wanted to keep my spot. And I don't do this because it was all that noble. I did it because I was really hooked on her and I didn't want her to forget me. So I would write her card after card after card. And I found out later that she wasn't ungrateful toward those cards. They didn't mean that much to her. Now probably because of the author, but I don't want to believe that. I want to believe that that wasn't her love language. But what hers are are words of affirmation. Okay. Now some, surprisingly, I want to look at the guys, some it's physical touch. It's feelings of someone touching you, intimacy, not sexual intimacy, but just touch. Now, you have to use your inspired imaginations for this. When I was a kid, I loved nothing more than flopping down on the couch next to my mom and putting my head on her lap, and she would play with my hair. I had some, believe me. Back in the day, she could do this. Maybe that's why I'm bald. Who knows? But she would play with my hair all the time. She would twist her finger in it, and I just loved it. I would sit there for hours like I was a puppy and letting her pet me. It just meant something to me. When you asked me the question, when have you ever been loved? My mom loved me. Well, how did you know it was love? Because she was affectionate with me. It was an action. Right? So I was talking to her about this one time. We were just, I asked her if she read the book, and she read the book. And, and she goes, that really meant something to you. I go, yeah, it did. I don't know why. Now, if my brothers, if I was laying down on the couch next to my brother, and they started playing with my hair, there'd be a fist fight. <laughs> so that form of affection wasn't desired by everybody. It was desired by one person. My dad was physically, like he wrestled us and threw us around the house, and I knew he loved me. I'd walk by and he'd grab me by the collar and fuck me down on the couch and lay on top of me and say, get up. <laughs> and so it was a contest. And I'd just about get up and he'd pull me back. And we'd both laugh and everything, and I missed the fact that my 83-year-old father can't pin me on the couch anymore. <laughs> But his affection was different than my mom's affection. But really, to a lot of people, physical touch isn't my thing. There are words of affirmation. There are acts of service. There's time. And what you find is, the way you feel loved is different depending on the person you're with. Someone you respect, when they look at you and say, I respect you for this, or I love you for this, or, or I value you for this, that means something to us. So how do you know it was love? Without naming, actually, I just told you that there were certain people, by the way they physically were affectionate with me, I felt loved by them. Okay? My brother Scott, first time I ever preached. Now this is a, I only tell you this to get to the end of the story and you'll understand why I hope. I don't know what it is. My father embarrasses easy. I embarrass really easy. Both of my sons embarrass really easy. It's a Christian gene that when people show off or draw attention to themselves, we just get embarrassed. Like back in church, I've shared this story before, remember when special music wasn't that special? Are you guys old enough to remember where someone had to sing a song and they couldn't? And I, was, and I had to be on stage waiting to preach after it and I didn't know what to do. I would feel my face burn and my wife would giggle from the audience because I would walk off stage. I didn't make a big scene, but I just like... Have you ever seen the, the meme where Homer Simpson just envelops himself into the shrubbery? I would do that on stage because I was feeling bad for them and everybody else. And I know they felt awkward and I just want to die. And so that, those moments of embarrassment. So my home church, I was in Bible college my second year. My preacher asked me if I'd come speak on a Sunday morning. And I didn't know how my two older brothers would react to that. Because they knew me in my less than Jesus days. 
And so I'm thinking, and our whole family embarrasses easy. And I remember feeling more pressure not to embarrass my siblings than I did to get the Word of God accurate. Does that make sense to anybody else in the room? So I walk on stage to preach the first time, and I'm looking at my two brothers, and I know my brother Scott is on the end of our pew, and I know if I embarrass him, he's going to do what every Christian man in our family does. He's going to find a reason to go to the bathroom and stay down there until it's over. <laughs> so about 10 minutes into my message, my brother Scott gets up and he heads out the, the swinging doors in the church, and I'm dying, going... Oh, no, because he's my big brother. I want his approval. In some fashion, I want his approval. And he turns and he flips through the doors and then he goes out. And my dad said, you could just see the blood rush from my face. And then about five seconds later, he comes back to the door and he points at me with a smile on his face. Trust me. He's like, gotcha. And he sat down. So afterwards, I didn't ask for any compliments. I preached. And listen, I can show you the notes. I still have the physical notes. It was horrible. But I did my best. And it was horrible. So after the service, we're standing there. And you know, all my old Sunday school teachers are just fawning on me. You know, yeah, it was fantastic, little Mark, you know, and all this kind of stuff, because they raised me. And afterwards, my brother Scott walks by, and he looks at me, and he goes, wasn't the worst sermon I ever heard. <laughs> and I've remembered that compliment for the rest of my life, because that was hard for him to say, and it was words of affirmation. I'm normally not a person who receives those easily, but from him, you get what I'm telling you, right? When I ask you this question, I do want you to give me some suggestions. It's not just love languages. How did you know it was love? Did it depend on who was giving it to you? Did it depend on the methodology that they gave it to you? How many of you can name it? Because anybody in the room right now can not think of a person who if they walked up to you in your workplace and told you you did a great job, that it wouldn't just blow your heart to pieces? Is there anybody who in your life you're just looking for them to give you words of affirmation? Yeah? Is there anybody in here who, I know this is awkward, but anybody in here, if someone went up and put their hand on you safely, and I know this is a creepy world we're living in right now, and being a dude is a rough thing, because I, I don't even want to speak to you in the hallway without being, you know, I'm just like, hi, and I run away. So, it's, just, it's weird. I don't know what the rules are anymore, and I don't want to lose the game, so I just want to not play. But in, in our world today, aren't there people that when they just walk by and touch you safely, it means the world to you? And so, when you were loved, you can't prove they loved you, except you knew they did because of how they what? This isn't going to surprise you, but I'm hoping we're getting there. You know you're loved by actions, not by emotions. That's why you can love someone when they don't like you. That's why you can love someone when they'd rather you not. Uh, I'm dealing right now with, goodness, too many uh, couples that for, for some good reasons and some awkward reasons and some just broken, are not, their relationship is not healthy, it's not good. And had a husband say to me this afternoon, she won't let me love her. Liar. She can't stop you from loving her. She can stop you from receiving it. She cannot stop you from giving it. And he's like, easy for you to say, nope, I've been there. Everyone in this room has been there. You've loved someone who didn't love you back in that moment. And what, what the excuse in our culture is, then stop loving and play it safe. And the answer from Scripture is the opposite of that, isn't it? 
No, love them. Does it make you vulnerable? Absolutely. Does everything end in a Hallmark movie where the beautiful guy discovers the beautiful girl's always loved him and he's always loved her? No, none of them in that way. When have you been loved? When someone demonstrated it. How did you know it was love? Because of the way they demonstrated it uniquely to you and in a meaningful way to you. So when I found out what made Heather's heart feel loved by me, that was simple. Now, do I regret writing the cards? No, it actually helped me articulate what I was feeling. But at the end of the day, she, I said, did you ever keep those? She goes, yeah, I have, a, I have a box. She goes, I have a box in our attic full of your letters. I'm like, nice. I didn't say that to her because I'm a dude. I'm like, okay. But inside, I'm like, yes. Now, I'm really scared to ask her the second question. Did you ever read them? I, I won't ask that question because I don't want to know the answer. So, how did you know it was love? Provided action. How do you know you are loving someone? You can answer that question without being exposed. How do you know you're loving someone? Anybody have a memorable answer around your table? Is that a yes or a no scratch? Back table, no? Yeah? Sure, if you're comfortable. Okay. Goodbye and thanks for trying. And instead, they showed me grace and helped me along. And like they didn't have to do this at all. And they went above and beyond to help me through the situation in my life while I was in school. Okay. I'm going to repeat that, not or just for the sake of here and the recording. So he had a group that had authority over him. It was my professors and okay. the chair of the department. Okay. So in an academic environment, somebody who could have penalized him for behavior that wasn't a standard, is that fair? Mm-hmm. And they chose not to. And they showed you a way through that to get where you want to go. And took time the next whole semester to focus on that. Yeah, and so they gave you a grace period to operate on that. Interesting. Any other examples? Yeah. If you're showing some doing nice things for someone, not expecting it from the back, you're loving them. Yeah. If you can do something unconditionally, not even if you don't receive anything back, it's the right thing. Okay. My girl I live with, she loves hard. She loves well her boys. She loves me well, but it's, I'm a bigger piece of work. There's no question. You can see that. But the way she loves her boys, uh, I'm sure every mom in here can say this, but she's the first, you know, she's the only mom of my kids. And I watch the sacrifices she's made. I saw years after years her birthday presents. And, uh, you know, a guy, once he's known a girl about five years, realizes you really can't buy them a present unless they tell you exactly what they want. So I used to make the mistake of buying her clothes. Well, that was dumb. Now I realize, what? Why didn't somebody warn me? So now we get Heather gift cards and everything else. You know how many of those ever get spent on her? None. Well, Braden needs this, or Alex needs this, or Mark needs this. And I'm like, won't you ever take care of yourself? And one time she just looked at me and she goes, because this is more fun. And I'm like, wow. 
She could teach me a ton about how to love. Because every gift card I'm getting, like, sweet, two more of these, and I can have everything I want. <laughs> Never stop and go, wow, I could bless Heather. I'm like, yay, bless me. How do you know you're loving someone? You make a sacrifice. You don't expect anything in return. Is the Bible correct when it says that it is more blessed to give than receive? It's kind of fun, isn't it? Now, let me flip this on you. Let me be a pastor. If it's more blessed to give than receive, then don't all of us also have to learn how to receive? If we're always deferential, like, no, no, not me. Give to someone who really needs it. You're really taking the joy away from the moment. If you can't be blessed, you're taking away the blessing from somebody else. And, and that's, that's hard for us, but it's at least part of the process. If we want people to act in love, then you have to allow them to act. And that means you have to receive it, even if it's humbling, even if it's awkward, even if it's something that you think might empower them or give them leverage on you. So if we're going to understand what this love concept is, now we'll go to a set of scriptures. And I want to walk through some of them. We're not going to read all of those on the sheet because I am making this big assumption tonight that I don't have to convince you you need to love. We just need to figure out what love is. And then we've got to answer the question, what's love got to do with it? Okay, sorry. I've got 80s music in my head. And I, I unfortunately could do this all night long. Okay, so John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you. Pause. Was it a new commandment? In the Old Testament, is it found that you are to love one another? Is it in the Old Testament? It is. Where is it? The Shema. Love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself. So why did Jesus call it a new commandment? Because he added this piece to it. As I have loved you, that you would love one another. He is setting the bar on the crucifixion. What he's adding to it is, I fo- remember he said, I'm not abolishing the Old Testament law, I'm fulfilling it. I'm going to demonstrate what the law brought value to. So by offering himself as a sacrifice, he added a newness to it, although the commandments always existed. Now go to, look at that Romans 13 passage here. This is fascinating to me. And I, you probably have seen this, but I'm going to act like you haven't. In Romans 13, 9 and 10, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Have you ever read the Ten Commandments and actually thought that those were about how you treated other people? Or is not our default to simply say they're just wrong? And never ask why they're wrong. So it says, thou should not commit adultery. A lot of times I think we interpret that verse to say, well, God doesn't want us to have a good time, or God doesn't want us to have premarital sex, or God doesn't want us to break covenant. At the end of the day, did you notice that Jesus actually is telling us, or excuse me, that the Apostle Paul is actually telling us that Jesus' use of these in the Sermon on the Mount was actually, you don't commit adultery because committing adultery is using somebody else and misusing another person. It may be not as much about us as about how we treat people. That's why Jesus said, you know, if you look at a person and you lust after them in your mind and you're treating them like, I wonder what that would be like. You're actually treating them like a piece of meat rather than a human being with the soul. So that's why it's committed adultery in your mind because your heart's already said, I don't care if this is a person. I want to use them. So you continue, and I won't do it to all these. You shall not murder. Well, duh, that's about the other person. (laughs) I think that's a safe assumption. You shall not steal. Why don't you steal? 
You'll steal because it's not yours. And if it's not yours, it belongs to somebody else. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. All these commandments are that you shall love your neighbors yourself. Max Lucado, I don't know how many of you know Max Lucado. He's a Christian author, preaches in Texas. Uh, he's a very gentle man, but he's got this great illustration. I just want to read it. So the best example of love that I can think of occurred at the death of my father. I remember a lady who was a distant relative of our family. She drove six hours to get to the funeral. She walked into the house and went immediately into the kitchen and began washing dishes. I didn't even know she was there. She straightened up everything and helped prepare for the meal. She came to the funeral. After the funeral, she came back in and did the dishes again and got the kitchen all cleaned up and got in her car and went home. As far as I know, she never said a word to anybody. She never introduced herself. But when I looked around, I realized that love had been in our house. Isn't that a great illustration of the simplicity of an action rather than a grandstand or a, you know, a moment, a flag in the sand, if you will? Now, you'll see here by the scriptures that I provided that no doubt, been telling you all along, and I know you're convinced of it because you can see it with your own eyes, that whenever Paul writes a letter to the early churches, he's measuring how mature we are by how our faith and what our faith is in, how we have hope and what our hope is in, and how we love and why we love. So when he says that we're to love one another, it's not because it's just good for us. We're to love one another because we have been loved well. And if you go to that Ephesians 4 passage, as just one of the examples, in the passage that I told you, the first 16 verses, that it edifies itself in love. That love believes in somebody. We talked about that in Corinthians. Love hopes in all things, believes in all things, and endures in all things. Love doesn't abandon a person and quit on them. And I know this is dangerous because uh, each and every one of us has chosen to love someone or something and been hurt by it. Um, And so you think about that, and although that burn of loving someone and being rejected doesn't always go away, sometimes it simmers under the surface, and then when it comes up, it's really hard to deal with. Uh, I had a friend, and well, his name was Mike Strzeski. I I'm, was born and raised in South Bend, Indiana, Polish Catholics reign in South Bend, Indiana. And uh, I don't know why they were all there. Maybe it was a Studebaker plant, but it seemed like every class had nine or ten kids with the ski on the back of their name. And Mike's, uh, Mike Stroh, we called him, was a good kid. The only bad thing about Mike was that everyone in my neighborhood was a Chicago Bears fan, and he was a Minnesota Vikings fan. And so I say that with endearment because one day, Mike came down to the bus stop. We all had to walk to the bus stop because we were so mistreated. My bus stop was about four blocks away in South Bend, Indiana in the winter. So we'd go out just getting out of the shower, and my hair was frozen by the time I got to the bus stop. And we would sit out there until the bus came, and no parents were hovering in their SUVs, warmed up to 90 degrees. We just stood out there, and our parents were like, yeah, don't get in trouble. Instead of be safe, it was like, don't, don't get in trouble. And we'd stand at the bus stop, and Mike came, and he's like, and my buddy Dave said to him, happy birthday. And Mike's like, oh, I left my, my candy. And we're like, well, what is it? And he goes, milk duds. He ran home to get the candy he left on the kitchen counter. And a few minutes later, well, it seemed like just a few minutes, because we were probably throwing snowballs and being idiot fifth and sixth grade boys standing out there. A few minutes later, we saw or heard a noise, and you know where this story's going. Mike got hit by a car running back across the street to make the bus stop. And our bus driver, Chuck, who was a wonderful man, he's the guy that I told you before threw me off the bus because we were fighting. He was a wonderful man. And he didn't go down the road where he normally went. He turned to the neighborhood and went the back way. 
And when we came out the one corner, I looked and saw Mike's stocking hat, his Minnesota Viking stocking hat in the road. And instantly, all of us knew. My mom was worried because for about three weeks, I was just fine. Absolutely fine. I was, she's like, are you okay? We went to the funeral, everything. I didn't cry. It was just sad. And I saw his family, and I, I still to this day, milk duds are like, I have to turn milk duds into a positive thing. Because I'm like, we didn't need those stinking milk duds. If he hadn't gone back to get those. You know, sometimes we looked at Dave like, why did you say happy birthday? Isn't that stupid? We're kids. But three weeks later, my dog got hit in the road. Do you remember when it all came out? And I was like, you cried harder over that dog. What I realized was that dog just kept reminding me, this is going, and I still think about it, this is going to keep happening to me the rest of my life. Things are going to die. Isn't that a happy thought that you came in on a Wednesday night for? <laughs> but I think God taught me a huge, well, I know God taught me a huge <clears throat> lesson. It's been something I've thought a lot about, and I talked to a counselor about it in college. Why didn't I grieve at Mike's death, but I grieved when my dog ran out in the street and got hit by a car? And the counselor gave me the best piece of advice. He said, because you loved both of those and you were angry. The first time you tried to reason yourself through it, but that burn stayed inside of me. That rejection, that hurt, that anger, he was my buddy. He was on my, my Nerf football team every recess. I saw his mom and dad. They didn't survive it. Most couples who go through that, I'm told 50% of couples who go through something like that have a hard time staying together because they're constantly reminded of that grief and pain. That makes my heart hurt. But I saw Mike go through that, and I just I saw the family go through it. And it was a stupid dog. Well, it wasn't a stupid dog. I loved her too. But when she ran across the road and I whistled and she wouldn't come back, that counselor told me about 12 years later that the reason I struggled so much with that is I kept suppressing it and suppressing it and suppressing it. And finally something broke inside, and I had to cry and scream and get mad. And my mom said she was more worried because... You know, I had flipped around, and then the counselor said to her, or our pastor said to her, There's, we're not good at people dying. We'll never be good at people dying. And if you become good at people dying, a part of you died. We should rail at the skies. We should get angry at this. Why? Because we love. And so, whether it's a divorce, or someone cheated, or someone hurt you and took advantage of you, we say, well, I just, I loved the wrong person. No, 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 no. You've never wasted love. Right? Because you were built by God to give love. That's why I don't have to compel anybody in this room to simply say, you ought to love. No, no. Some of us are scared to love. Some of us are really hurting deep inside. So what does God want from us with this loving thing? In fact, it may be the hardest thing He's ever asked us to do. But Jesus gave us the model. It's a new commandment. Love as I have loved you. And did he get any return on his love on this side of death? Outside of Mary washing his feet in a few moments, you'd be hard-pressed to find out that Jesus, in that first question, when have you been loved? I'm not going to assume that I know his mind, but I went through the Gospels looking for moments that Jesus would have felt loved like I would feel loved. I'm hard-pressed to find any of them. So, is he asking us to do the impossible? No. And the second thing I want you to be encouraged by is, not only is he going to ask, this isn't encouraging, he's asking you to do a hard thing to love. But he is going to give you the power to love. Because we're incapable of doing this kind of love on our own. So we continue. The directives of love are written right here. 1 Corinthians 13, Now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love, pursue love. 
And then you can just see, I've, I've just written them here. Once again, I don't want to, to keep going and going and reading verses you can read. So let's talk about the three dimensions of love. And then we'll get to the practical side of this now that I've got your heartstrings tight and you're wondering why you came here. Uh, there are three kinds of love. You've probably heard this often. Uh, Greek words for love, they're distinct. Uh, the agape love or agapeo love here is a comprehensive concept. It's, it's loving acts. This is what I want you to know. Agape love is demonstrable. It is, you can identify it by actions. It's not just sentimentality. The love of God is shown. It's not just discussed or it's not present. Or not just present. It's a better way to say that. You can see Ephesians 5 is provided for you there. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So you have to walk in it. has to be that intentionality that he's discussing there. Uh, phileo love is brotherly love. Okay, This is a tenderness. This is camaraderie. It has a more emotional nature to it. It's supporting someone, wishing them well, being with them. So it's found in Romans 12.10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Uh, growing up in a family of all boys. How many of you were like, how many of you ladies just had sisters? You just grew up with, with sisters. So explain this dynamic to me. How, did, how do sisters express affection? Some people like, they didn't. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> Not to bring up, you're, you're going to start crying on me now too. But how do, how do girls show affection, sisterly affection? What's a, what's a demonstration of that? Hugs? I've noticed that sisters tend to be sweet toward each other. They're very complimentary. How many guys in this room grew up with just guys in the house? Did you experience that? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely not. So isn't it funny that God would put men and women together when we show affection differently? In, in our house, being picked on was actually a sign of affection, being ignored. But we would punch each other and trip each other and tackle each other and roll around and fight and get up. And When I was a youth minister, the first time I took a whole group, I had four girls and two boys, and we went on an overnight trip, and the girls catted on each other the entire trip. If one of them did something, it was chirp, 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 chirp for hours. The two guys were brothers. One got mad, slugged the other one. We had a winner, we had a loser, and we moved on. And you never heard about it again. And I was like, I'm glad I'm a dude. And then I saw these girls, 20 minutes later, buying each other slushies and making up for it with gifts. And I love your hair, I wish I had your hair. And I'm like, oh my gosh. What's the point? Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. So I'm saying hit each other. No, I'm not. I'm actually saying that there is a spoken way to love in the genders that can be safe and it can be encouraging. And uh, we have to learn how to do this. this. Philadelphia, right, is named after phileo. And it's the city of what? And it's not in reality, but it's named the city of brotherly love. And I'm told it's one of the cruelest places to live. But it's a big city, urban environment. But it's named after the city of Brotherly Love, which you'll actually find was an original city back in Greece. And that's why in the book of Revelation, one of the cities is, is the churches of Philadelphia. So it's just carried over. Uh, Eros, love, well, we in America got that one down. 
And that's what it seems to be that people think love is, is an expression of sexuality, an expression of physical intimacy. And uh, I want to state this for the record. When we talk about love, even though we have that turned upside down and have made that a God within itself, uh, erotic love is God's idea. And it is God's gift. And that sensation of being physically attracted to another person is actually a good thing given to us by God that's been ruined by our culture which has made it our identity, it's made it our sole purpose, it's made it our sole happiness. And, and I'm telling you from the counseling side of ministry, it is wrecking people across the globe because we're taking the, the most easy form of love and making it the end result, and it will never satisfy us like filet love, which is the way that we care for one another and we show our care for one another, and agape love, which means we sacrifice for one another and we give unconditionally. You can see here from 1 Corinthians 13, here are the spectrum of the nine qualities of love. And then I'm going to pursue, just look at those, and then we're going to talk about how these play out. Patience, kindness, generosity, humility, courtesy, unselfishness, good temper, guilelessness, sincerity. So if you want to measure yourself in a spiritual way, the way God measures us, then you need to look at these nine qualities I'll say this in most every wedding I do. This is not how we, what we receive, it's what we give. This is, are you a, <laughs> are you a lover? Well, are you patient? Are you kind and generous and humble? Are you courteous, unselfish? You, you have a good temper. Not, I, I like there's an old word in the King James. It's a qualification to be a spiritual leader. And it says, not pugnacious. And a pugnacious person is always looking for a fight. They're always wanting to scrap over something. And guilelessness, that you think no evil and you're open. One of the disciples was known as a man with no guile. And uh, I, was just, I was doing this thing called Rooted, which our church will be doing hopefully next spring or next fall even. But we were going through Rooted, and one of the questions it said is, name someone who's Christ-like in your world. And there is a young lady in our church... She'd be very embarrassed, but I'm unashamed to say her name. If any of you know Sarah Hill, she may have the purest heart of any person I've ever met in my entire life. I've never heard this girl, and I've known her for 15 to 20 years. I've never heard Sarah ever once, no exaggeration, say a bad thing about another person. I tease her all the time. If she would ever see into hell, she would compliment it. That's how good she is. She would walk in and go, I love what you did with this. She just has a sweet spirit, and she loves Jesus desperately. And when I was writing that, I thought, I am nothing like her. I've got a long way to go. She just has a pure spirit and a pure heart. And she's good people. So when you look at these, the explanations are, are clear. We're an intelligent group. So let's answer our question at the bottom. And this is really where I want to get. What is love? So we use the word love often. Uh, we love sports teams. We love food. If I said to you right now, just say it at your table. I know this is goofy, but just go with me if you will. What's your favorite candy bar? Quickly. Ten seconds each. Around your table. Okay, if you were on an island, 
You were on an island by yourself, which sounds fantastic. But you're on an island by yourself for six months, and every Friday, an episode of your favorite television show, past or present, would be dropped off in a DVD for you to enjoy. What would be your show? Go. How many of you said Reese's peanut butter cups are your favorite? Do you love them? Now you're, you're thinking, you're thinking, I can't answer. No, it's not a trick question. Do you love them? Do you have an affection and affinity for them? If you put a frozen take five bar in front of me, I would love you really well. Okay? If you brought me and I was in an island all by myself and had my books and quiet and you dropped me the episode of, an off, of The Office every Friday. You dropped that to me. I would pray for you. <laughs> so can you love inanimate things? Do you love your pets? I know they're animate, but do you love your pets? It's okay to say yes. No. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you love a sports team? Yeah. If you give your heart to something... And it exposes you. Are you loving? To a degree it is. That's why John says in 1 John, do not love the things of the world because the things of the world are in opposition to God. So we are capable. I hate when I hear sermons or teachings on this and people say, well, you don't really love red licorice. Yeah, I do. I love red licorice. I don't love red licorice like I love Alex and Brayden, and I don't love red licorice like I loved my dog growing up, and I don't love red licorice like I like Notre Dame football. But I have an affinity for it. It's got a place in my heart. As stupid as it sounds, we all do it. We give love more easily than we ever imagined. So when I talk to you about loving the way God wants to love, we're like, I don't know if I'm capable. What? You can love Milk Duds and Milky Ways and Diet Pepsi and Sweet Tea and the St. Louis Cardinals and cats. You can love God. Okay? If you're capable of loving something demonic, you can love Jesus. All right? So what does culture say about love? Well, culture says that love is a feeling or an emotion. And that's only inaccurate. It's not completely wrong. It's only inaccurate. What I mean by love is a feeling and emotion is love produces these things. That's why I can get angry at a Notre Dame football game when they make a silly mistake and they may lose the game over it. And I don't like that I get angry, but I know when emotions come, nobody cries for no reason, do they? Yes. (laughs) All right, we have a confession. But the most part. Nikki, can I pick on you a second? You're teaching what age now? Uh, Nine and ten-year-olds. So are they emotional creatures at nine and ten years of age? How have you learned, because she taught Braden, so I know in that environment, he was a more emotional kid than our oldest, so I was like, help. So how do you discern whether it's a real issue or just something that it just may be a flash in the moment? Probably by their level of emotion with it. Okay. Like if it really matters to them. Yeah. And sometimes it shouldn't matter, right? Right. But it does. But it does to them. 
adulthood. And so having kids growing up where with older brothers, you didn't cry in front of them. That was a sign of weakness. That's blood in the water. I mean, they make it worse. So I had to suck it up and act tough. And then Heather's like, you don't cry over much. Then I made a huge mistake. True story. I started saying to God, this girl wants me to be more free with my emotions. I've never really trusted them because I've made fun of or I got beat up over it or I felt stupid when it was done. I tell you what, I, this is no exaggeration. I'll watch The Voice and some kid who wants to get a chair turned around will get a chair turned around and I tear up. I'm like, what is wrong with me? But then I realize what God has done is he's opened my soul up. And that means something to that little 13-year-old girl. And she starts crying when someone turns her chair around, especially if it's a cute boy. And I'm like, that's a sweet moment. I never knew what sweet moments were growing up. Because I protected my heart. Are you with me? So is emotions involved in love? Absolutely. But is it love? No, it's a product of it. And so we have to be careful. So when a 9 and 10 year old goes off in Mrs. Buster's class, she's got to figure out, is this a big deal? Or is this two kids who didn't sit together at lunch? And now a girl's upset because her best friend sat with somebody else? Or is this like something's going on at home? My oldest son is very unemotional, and it's okay. But he, he does well. Madison is working on him. But one time the kindergarten teacher called and said, Alex was really temperamental in school today. And I'm like, who? Alex who? And they said, your son. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. I said, everything upset him. He was really like, just prickly all day long. And so I come home and I go, what's the matter, bud? And then I realize when I picked him up, Heather left on a business trip for the very first time. And me being the idiot, senseless soul that I am, I'm like, oh, suck it up, you little wimp. And, but he's like, wait a second, I don't trust you. <laughs> the parent that really loves me is gone. <laughs> will I make it? You know. And so I had a conversation with him. Buddy, I will take care of you. And he goes, I know, I just miss mom. And I was like, good. I want you to miss your mom. So we had a conversation. Of course, then I made the mistake of telling her, so she wanted to cancel every business trip for the next nine years. I'm like, now this is good too. But did you notice we don't cry or we don't laugh? Now, all of us have a fake laugh. But have you ever had that open mouth, make the noise you hate that you make when you laugh and you can't stop yourself? We don't laugh really hard and we don't cry really hard at nonsense. So when something gets us, it's because we've given our heart to something or our heart's being exposed. Love, the second uh, lie or myth is that love is uncontrollable. I fell in love. Maybe. But you were intrigued. But at one point in time, you had to give yourself to it. You had to choose it. What does God say about love? The Bible says love is a choice. That is so unromantic, but it doesn't have to be. I think one of the most romantic things in the world is when someone says, I choose you. Especially when they know you and you've given them reason not always to choose you. Colossians 3.14 And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together. I put it on. If it were a feeling or an accident, then God couldn't command it. Did you catch that? If love's a feeling or an accident, God can't command it. That's unfair. So he's like, no, choose to love. Second, love is a matter of conduct. This is where we've been. 1 John 3.18 Let us not love with word or tongue, but with actions and truth. Now, is that saying, don't use words, don't affirm people? No, it's actually not saying that. It's saying, let that not be just it. Don't say you love someone and then hurt them. Abuse them. Take advantage of them. 
So that's some of that burn that I talked about, my experience with Mike and how watching my dog in the road and realizing it, all of this was death. It just hurt made me want to lock down. I don't want to love, I don't want to care anything. My mom's like, we want to get you a new puppy. I don't want another dog. That lasted six months. But for six months, it's like, nope, never going to give myself to that again. We all do it. Some of us, and we're not talking about a dog or accidental death of a friend. I know right now there are some raw nerves, and I don't want to press on those. What I'm saying is that there is a love available that God is offering us that is healthy and safe and good. So you can see First John 3, 8, as I just read, 18. John 13, 34, we've already read. Romans 3, we went through those commandments. So how to measure love. This is what Paul says throughout his writings. Remember, this is what we're studying on spiritual maturity, is what has Paul called us to, led by the Holy Spirit. So how to measure our love. Let's walk through these quickly. Accept others unconditionally. The first sign of love is your willingness to love anybody, regardless. Romans 15.7, Paul would write to the churches throughout Rome, Accept one another just then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Which means, and this is fascinating to me, and this is where I can go off on rabbit trails, but I won't, I promise. When we accept others unconditionally, what Paul says there is that in order to bring praise to God, they, there is a reason you shouldn't love them. And there's a, there's a real reason. I've had people say, so-and-so molested my child, I'm supposed to love them. You're supposed to forgive them, and that's a loving act. You're supposed to have them in your home? No. You're supposed to hang out with them, invite them over for Thanksgiving? Probably not yet. We're not talking about compromising your safety. You understand the difference, right? But the world says, no, no, if I, I just have to let them abuse me again. No, 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 no. But forgiving them is a loving act. And you, and you can forgive them unconditionally. That doesn't mean you let them in your home, you give them your passwords, you, you don't expose them. Criminal activity is not to do, be just dismissed, but to harbor. This is what we did Sunday, if you were here, when we did the isms and we went to the table and the crosses around the room, was for us to go and receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ before the cross means that if anybody's not allowed to do that based on our attitude toward them, then we're not allowed to do that. Because we feel superior rather than equal to all that he died for. Romans twelve eighteen. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do what you have to do to offer them love. That doesn't mean it'll be received. And as a counselor, this is one of the conversations I have with people. Husbands trying to make up for 12 years of neglect, and they're like, I'm trying, I'm trying, and they're not re- she's not receiving it. You, you're not in control of her. Your choices are your choices. And you just have to choose that. B, commit yourself with loyalty. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Loyalty. How would you define loyalty? Pardon? She was mouthing something too. And she saw that I saw her. Uh, I love this definition. Chuck Swindoll used it a thousand years ago. He said, loyalty is walking in the room while everybody else is walking out. I've always loved that. You know, when everyone's walking away from a person going, dude, these are the persons that walk in the room. 
loyalty is saying, I don't have to always agree with what you did, and I'm not necessarily going to support everything you did, but I'm going to support you. I'm going to be there. And as, as parents, we've all had that experience, and if your kids are young, you will have that experience where you would advise them not to make a choice. My parents were very permissive, and I'm grateful for it. My father would never tell me I couldn't do something. I think he knew my spirit was unfortunately rebellious. Tell me I can't and watch me. I'm not proud of that now, but that's kind of how I'm wired. And when God's been working on that, my father would never say I couldn't do something, but he would always say this. Here's the reason I wouldn't do that. That was really good parenting. Now to my brother Scott, he's like, there is no way the side of heaven you're doing that. So he had to be stricter with my brother Scott than me, but he would say to me, here's why I wouldn't do that. If you're asking my advice, here's why I wouldn't do that. And that gave me a rational explanation. So when it says that we are to commit ourselves with loyalty, my dad's like, you can do it. And I've seen both of my boys do the exact opposite of what we advise them to do. And at the end of the day, it's like, well, I'm going to be there with you through the consequences. But I can't stop the consequences. But at the end of the day, this is what it is. I remember getting caught in fifth grade. Uh, do you remember the Superstars? Does anybody remember that show? It used to be like network stars from CBS, NBC, and ABC would play these stupid games. We decided to play Superstars in the bathroom. So you could step on the, the toilet, step on the toilet paper dispenser, flip yourself over the wall, land on the next toilet, toilet paper dispenser. There were four stalls. And we would race who could get through the four stalls. Yes, we did. We were in fifth grade, or sixth grade. And Mrs. Nucci, who was about five foot two, as round as she was tall, her last year of teaching, white curly hair, and authoritative beyond belief. My fifth grade teacher loved me. Mrs. Nucci couldn't remember my name. True story. She called me Mike my entire sixth grade year. That's how important I was to this lady. And she walked in the bathroom when I was going for the record over the second stall. And she called my father, and she said, Mr. Christian, you need to come to school. Well, she called Dale out of work, and he came. And I thought, kill me now, because I won't make it home. And I was shaking when my father came in. And my dad said, what do you do to students that do this? And she said, we, we spank them. And my dad said, go ahead. And my dad stood there right there, and she went to get the paddle. She was mean. She was a good teacher. She taught me science. Nobody could teach me science. And she taught me how to learn science. She was mean. I feared her. And I was looking at my dad like, get me out of this. And he still tells this story and laughs. Because right before she came in, she, he said, you're getting one more spanking from me than you get from her. So I'm like, oh, great. So she swats me four times. Dale's getting me five. And he had no cops to watch him. And so anyway, she walked in and, and she said, are you sorry? And of course, I'm crying. I'm so sorry. I'm so, why would you do that? I don't know. It sounded fun. I almost got the record. You know? <laughs> And she laid into me with a wood paddle. And she caught me. She was good. She caught me under the bottom, right on the back of the thighs. So she had experience. She, she wailed me three times. She goes, will you ever do that again? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. And then, so I'm thinking, I'm going to go home and get a whip. And you know what my dad did? He said, can I borrow the paddle? <laughs> and he looked at me and he goes, you chose this, Right? And I said, yeah. And he goes, okay. And he gave her back the paddle, and he took me home. Aww. And he said to me in the car, no, I, you're thinking that's sweet? I'm like, oh, my gosh. And we get in the car, and my dad said to me, he said, I can never stop the consequences of your choices. I'm 53 years old, and I remember that conversation in the bathroom at Swanson Elementary School from 1977. 
And you know, you know, I've used that story with both of my boys. And does loyalty mean we stop the consequences? No, nah, loyalty means I stand beside you while you get the three swats. And because you earned them. And this is the choice. See, I think loyalty, for me, loving someone, whether you're a parent, a spouse, or a friend, is just going and saying, yeah, you're going to pay for this, and yet I'm going to love you anyway. All right. Third, encourage others continually. Encourage others continually. Oh, and by the way, she did get my name right when my dad came in, which I think means she knew all along. Just didn't like me. Encourage others continually. How are you encouraged? Well, did I give you a list there? Nope. Ran out of paper. Here we go. This is a list that was given by a preacher in California. We encourage people by laughing with them, by exhorting. You know what the difference of exhortation is? It's what a good coach does. A coach gets out of you what you don't know is in you. Calls you to be something better. So exhorting someone. We encourage by not laughing. We encourage by crying with someone, by giving, by our presence, by our words, by our actions. And we identify what the person most needs and we pay the price to deliver it. I thought that was a great definition of encourage. The word encourage is actually to install or to instill Courage. And when do you need courage? When you're scared, when you're upset, when you're alone, when you're weak. So part of the way we love is to hold someone up when they can't stand. First Thessalonians. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. So everybody has a hurt. Everybody has a fear. Everybody feels weak. And that's why God put us in community. Remember from the very beginning, spiritual maturity cannot be performed on your own. It has to be performed in community. That's why Paul's writing to groups of people. And we'll talk about what that means in just a couple of weeks. D, serve people cheerfully. Serve people cheerfully. Each one should use whatever gift he or she has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. I appreciate my parents for a lot of reasons, and one of the things my parents taught was they taught us to serve, and I always didn't receive it well. I've shared this story, so I'll be brief with it. Um, It snows in South Bend, Indiana, like six months of the year, because it's right off the lake, and it's lake effect snow, and Saturdays, my dad would call us boys out, and he'd say, we need to go shovel the church steps. It was an older church, so there's probably eight or nine steps that went up. There was no handicap accessibility. No one thought of that when this church was built in the 60s. They just built it. And if you could climb the stairs, God bless you. Well, those stairs weren't very wide. Remember my mom and dad always talking about how women with their church shoes on had a hard time. They have to walk sideways up the stairs and drove my dad crazy. And so my dad would, on snowy Saturdays, he would just look at his, he had four boys. One of them was too young, but I'm the third. He would look at the three of us older ones and he'd say, come on, we're going to the church to shovel the drives in in the steps. And I remember just grousing the entire time. What do we have to do? What do we have to do? We're just complaining. And what really irritated me was my dad would pull up and sit in the truck. <laughs> He's a smart man. And he'd put the three of us boys on the stairs with, with the ice and everything else, and he would shovel. He's like, I got three kids. You do it. And one time we made the mistake. He heard us complaining. And, I, and he said, what are you boys talking about? And we lied. No. He goes, no, you can tell me. It's okay. You can tell me. Why do we have to do it? My dad said, because it's our church. All he said. 
It's not the church, not their church, it's our church. And then he looked back, and he, my dad was a good man, but he looked back and he said, your grandmother is going to walk up those steps tomorrow. And if she fell and broke her hip or broke her leg, would she be embarrassed and hurt and upset because you decided to stay in? Yes, sir. So he took us to Dairy Queen, because he's a good man, but he taught us a valuable lesson that day. And I don't always serve cheerfully, but I always remember that moment. This is our church. So I talk to our staff about that all the time. You're walking down the hallway and you see a gum wrapper on the floor. It's no one's job to pick that gum wrapper up, but it's everyone's responsibility to pick that up. Why? Because it's our church. And I think serving is that. It's our neighborhood. And those are people that God cares about. And I think that mentality is, I you know, tell my dad a lot, that meant a lot to me. I hated it when you told me because you sat in the truck with the heat on and the window rolled down about that far. Are you boys about done? I was, you. But what he really was saying was, you can serve because why should anybody else have to do it if you do it? Just do it. E, forgive, each other's free, free, forgive others freely. This is, Colossians 3.13 is pretty... Interesting to me. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I think what Paul does here that I really like is Paul identifies that loving actions are unwarranted. Did you catch that? Whatever grievances you may have. Paul's not saying this is insignificant. You're making you know, a mountain out of a molehill. He's actually saying, no, you have issues. He also told the church at Corinth, don't go to law. Don't take each other to court and let the court system figure it out. Bring it to the church and let the church decide what's right. Let's treat this like family. Let's care for each other. My brother Scott threw a rock at me one time. I have a scar on the side of my head where he caught me with the rock. I don't know why he threw it at me. We were probably just being what we were. And my, my dad made us stand a foot apart and tell each other we loved each other. I performed the act. But inside I was seething. And my dad said, is this over? <laughs> the moment of truth, we looked at him and went, nope. He's like, all right, go in the bedroom and take care of it. And we went in the bedroom, and we took care of it, and we came back out, and he goes, now. And Scott had a little bit of blood running down his nose, and I had a fat lip. And Scott said, forgive him. Mark, I forgive you for punching me in the nose. And I'm like, well, i got to forgive you for hitting me in the mouth and hitting me with a rock. And my dad goes, are we done? And I was like, yeah. And then we had a lesson that night around the dinner table about forgiveness is not because they didn't do anything and you want to clear the air. Forgiveness is because you've been wronged and that's not big enough to keep you from being brothers. Which is interesting now because as we got older, we got to high school. I don't know what that thing is in junior high between brothers. Maybe it was just our family. But in high school, he became my very, very best friend. But in junior high, oof. And I wonder sometimes if God's putting us in churches and in communities like this and surrounding you with unsaved and saved people, if part of the process is he's wanting us to get away from the justification of this person has really wronged me to simply say that forgiveness is the first step, not the last step. Because in forgiveness, a relationship can be built that's based on grace, not based on merit, not based on equality. But it's actually what Jesus did. He came down and loved me when I was anything but a rebel and just disregarding him. And instead, he loved me in this way. This is where we started, right? There's a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So just take those five things. Think through them. Because we're going to tie all of this faith, hope, and love up next week when we talk about what is this unity and how do we hold on to these principles without losing them in the everyday interactions. Okay? If you come back, I'll see you next Wednesday.
Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.